The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. to tune in to ELC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're uh, maybe you're in the grocery store doing the grocery shopping. Maybe you're lying on the beach. Maybe you're just enjoying your favorite podcast in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlc pod they bring the show to you they support the show they make sure it continues with their generosity and in exchange they get some cool stuff oh my gosh what cool stuff they get including ad free episodes they get bonus content they get video versions of the show although not this week and they get the the, the bonus content the bonus content my goodness the bonus content including they get the spoiler chats they they got a whole bonus episode early this week with uh developer interviews they get uh, feeling this, an entire season of feeling this, season two coming soon, where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talk about the feelings behind video games. And they get the high wire act, the zaniness, the nonstop fun coaster that is paid DLC, your Wednesday midweek pick me up, where Christian Spicer, Lana Bashinsky, and myself talk about whatever. The heck comes into our brains. It's it's a good time. And it is exclusive to patrons at the Cool Ranch level. You can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, the spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined. As always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's enjoying a tropical sunset on the beach in Maui right now. And I'm trying not to hate him. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian! Aloha. Our spring breaks have shipped our ships crossing in the night. Yours is coming to an end, and my sun is just starting to rise. So while you are tired... I see tired in my future, but I'm super excited to be here because my goodness, what a show we have. What a show. This is going to be jam-packed. Christian mentioned it. You may hear a little tiredness in my voice. I was yelling at the top of my lungs on the Incredicoaster. 
on the on Space Mountain. Uh, just like the, telling like, kids to put their hands down. Just keep your hands and arms inside <laughs> the vehicle at all times. Everyone sits. Everyone sees. <laughs> I took the kids to Disneyland this week. Uh, we we did it. We did spring break in Disneyland. I am very tired. Uh, Christian now in in Maui trying to one up me, saying, "Hey, I see your Disneyland, and I raise you a uh, tropical paradise." Thanks, Christian. Thanks for making my vacation seem dumb. Anyway, we're here. We're, we do have a monster of a show for you. This is this is a a show that's barely going to be contained in the confines of our program. We got GDC last week. We got announcements. We got video games. We got previews of video games. And ladies and gentlemen, the only person we could bring on to contain the uncontainable, to discuss the overwhelming, and to be our third chair this week. Well, you know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian but once again, DLC gets its own theme song. Who's that coming on the podcast today? They must be recording on a holiday. Who's going to talk about the games that they don't really want to play? He's dependable, dimensional, and so sincere. It's Anthony Towermina, and ladies and gentlemen, it's Anthony Towermina here on his birthday. Happy birthday, Anthony. Thank you. Yes, it is uh, today, as we are recording this, is my birthday. So when you're listening to this, it was not my birthday anymore, but today, my birthday. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being with us on your birthday. Really appreciate that. Uh, I mean, it's it's like a birthday gift. Well, because now us. everybody has to tell me happy birthday on Twitter, please. Yeah, do it, folks, please. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just kidding. Uh, Anthony, your song says uh, you must be recording on a holiday. Hey, and then it is. It's your birthday. It's basically it's the true. same thing. It's true. But also Christian's on a vacation, as that's you true mentioned. Too. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not why you're here, though, Anthony. The gift for your birthday and the gift for everybody is that theme song. Like, you it's know, when, when, a, when a third chair has the best theme song Parting Gifts is up there. Let's not kid. All the bumpers are great. But that All Anthony Taormina theme song, it's everybody's mm. birthday when they get to open that gift in their ears. You That's know? true. Yeah. And, and shout I, out too, again. I went to Disneyland uh, last Saturday. So, yeah, I did. I went to for the Toontown opening. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yes, I went there. I, did you ride uh, the new Mickey's uh, Railroad ride? We, yeah, we did. It was amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, we, it was the first it's ride like we rode. It's Rise of the Resistance for kids. It has the same, like, the queue <laughs> yeah. is awesome. It has the transition. It has all yeah. the cool things, but not as scary. You're not getting uh, hijacked by uh, the First Order. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. You're getting hijacked by Goofy, I think. Yeah, Goofy's a pie train exploded, and yeah, and yeah. Anyway, um, great to have you here, and as always, a shout out to Sean Madigan uh, for that awesome bumper. But uh, like I said, we got tons to talk about, so let's get right into it and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us comments or questions or anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also participate in our communities. Talk to us that way. Talk to the other listeners of the show that way by uh, posting on our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Or, and, uh, joining the Discord, which is also 5x5dlc, on Discord. Great folks hanging out in both places, playing games together, chatting about all sorts of topics. Be a part of it. Join the community. But Anthony, you are our guest. Anthony, were you at GDC? I was not. No, I was not at GDC. I don't like to fly on airplanes. One day I will go. But uh, yeah, I'm not a, uh, I'm I'm scared of airplanes. I'm sorry. All right. Don't be scared of airplanes. (laughs) I can hurt you. Anyway, uh, we, uh, we have GDC. There's a lot. What I'm saying is, Anthony. Yes. There are a lot of stories here for you to choose. I'm very curious what your story of the week is going to be. Well, so. It, basically, anybody that has been on the podcast more than one time in the last, I don't know, year and a half has talked about this. And I think it is the story of the week. And it's the the UK's CMA basically saying, hey, so we don't really see a problem with this Microsoft buying ABK thing. It's, it's happening. Yeah, it, it seems like that. I am not a lawyer. Christian, also not a lawyer. Once was a lawyer. But. According to the smart people on uh, the places where the smart people talk, this seems to be the final hurdle cleared, and it seems like it's it's going to happen for real now. Yes. So the uh, the Competition and Markets Authority, that's the CMA, not the Country Music Awards, although they probably could weigh in at this point, and nobody would even bat an eye. Uh, actually, Microsoft gave the Country Music Awards Call of Duty for 10 years. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's my understanding. <laughs> Uh, they have said, as, uh, as Anthony mentioned, uh, we don't see any, uh, uh, big deal about this, uh, quote, having considered the additional evidence provided, we have now provisionally concluded that the merger will not result in a substantial lessening of competition in console gaming services because the cost to Microsoft of withholding Call of Duty from PlayStation would outweigh any gains from taking such action. The old why are you hitting yourself defense? Um, so this is saying basically we've decided that they could make more money selling this game on PlayStation than they would make not selling it on PlayStation and, and just making it a um, Microsoft exclusive, to which I would reply, then why are there exclusives at all? But uh, I guess that's a silly question. Um, the, uh, the interesting side note here is that they also said, uh, but we haven't completely ruled out uh, uh, other problems. Uh, quote, our provisional view that this deal raises concerns in the cloud gaming market is not affected by today's announcement. Our investigation remains on course for completion by the end of April. So we're not done. We don't necessarily think cloud gaming's in the clear here just because uh, console gaming is. Uh, but yeah. Anthony, uh, they need this to talk seems- to Google about Stadia, but the phone just keeps going right to voicemail. <laughs> yeah, it keeps going to chat GPT for some reason. It just parrots back what we're telling it. Um, so this feels like, you know, everyone has been saying for the past several months that there's these hurdles, but this deal is probably going to happen. Is that 
your takeaway from from this news today also or yeah this week? it's it's it seems like i mean at, at the at the very least it seems like this is the final sign i'm sure we'll get more signs and obviously you know have to report on the news and and cover those things but this seems like the final big sign of okay this yeah this this thing is going to happen whether it happens in the next month or the next 6 months whenever it's going to happen and there are going to maybe be other tiny details that will be worked out or conversations about different things that uh ABK and Microsoft might end up doing once they're all under the same umbrella but uh, yeah it just seems to me like they're saying the CMA is saying yeah we talked to them they told us their plan with Call of Duty whether you know whether or not they do keep it as an exclusive or they do offer it to PlayStation uh, and either one they there are good and bad pros and cons to those and we don't really feel like it hurts competition yeah i agree uh and i hopefully folks aren't just sick of us talking about this at this point i do yeah. think it's always juicy and very interesting this 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 ongoing drama it's like uh, our own little soap opera here in the video game world uh, lately uh, will they won't they it's mostly uh, they probably will but you know there's still a glimmer of won't they uh, hanging around uh, also interestingly this week my <laughs> this story is just the story that keeps on giving because every time you think well it's kind of done <laughs> some some new interesting tidbit drops this week one of my favorite tidbits uh, happened on IGN France where Harvey Smith, the uh, one of the game designers for Redfall, uh, had an interview and, and basically said, <laughs> hey, uh, we were making Redfall for PlayStation 5, and then uh, we got bought, and Microsoft came in and said, stop! Don't make this for PlayStation anymore! Which is really funny. I can't imagine somebody at Microsoft didn't have a real good sit-down with Harvey Smith after that and went, yeah, you're not going to have any interviews anymore. You're not going to be giving interviews anymore. Um, but he yeah. said, he said, I mean, this was in, in Google Translate. So because this was uh, IGN French, so it was in French. Uh, but according to Google Translate, he said, quote, they came in and said, no PlayStation 5. No soup for you. Yeah. Uh, we're focusing on Xbox, PC and Game Pass. He says, uh, once Microsoft acquired ZeniMax, Bethesda, the publishers of Redfall, he said it was, quote, change with a capital C. Which is basically the opposite of what Microsoft has been telling all the regulators. It's like, well, we don't do stuff like that. Yeah. So um, Microsoft had to come out with a statement saying um, n- n- that, no, that's not, we don't do that. Uh, quote, we haven't pulled any games from PlayStation, starts the statement from Microsoft. In fact, we've expanded our footprint of games that we've shipped on Sony's PlayStation since our acquisition of ZeniMax. Yeah, this guy. Uh, yeah, it's it just feels the, the, like uh, Harvey Smith standing there, and Microsoft's looking at him, and then looking over at Todd Howard and going, "Don't you do what he did? Don't you do it <laughs> when your game comes out? Don't you say anything like he said? Don't you say it?" So funny, that's so funny. Uh, but Christian, you know, we've been saying for quite a while now that this is happening, and really, the UK was kind of the biggest no that we, you know, that Microsoft was looking in the face of. They were the biggest hurdle, it seemed. And now it seems like they're indicating yes. So if we look at our Magic 8 Brawl, signs point to yes, I think, as they have been, right? Yeah, my favorite part out of this is the uh, 
you know, like the CMA initially provisionally was going to say no. And then like, here's why. And they showed their math and Microsoft was like, hey, um, idiot, you got to carry the one and divide by two. You know, <laughs> it's like the new statement's like, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we said this and then, you know, Microsoft filed some stuff and said that we did our math wrong. And sure enough, that steak dinner was delicious and our math was wrong. Um, I'm not saying <laughs> it was that improper, but like the amount, again, of very smart people that have been working on this. And it seems like there are just continuous mistakes is too strong of a word, but misfires of like, oops, we filed a brief prematurely on, in the United States side. We, we didn't mean that. And then now in the UK, it's like, yeah, we did that math wrong. We, yep, you're right. Oopsie, that was our bad. We changed it. Good to go. I mean, it, it's just, and you have to think the stuff like this happens every day, all the time with big companies doing this stuff, but seeing it reflected back in this in this video game space, it is eye-opening to say the least and the amount of money being thrown around, not only in the merger, but the amount of money trying to get this merger complete is is eye-opening. And then the idea you mentioned of, you know, yeah, Redfall is going to be for the PS5. I feel like at someone at Microsoft has to have, like, the press release ready to go. Like, we always consider all platforms for every game and make the best decision, ba- you know, like... Uh, I, just, I just feel like you cut to guy rubbing his temples so hard, just like, why... To people, we were so close to this being done, and you have to open your big yapper. They just uh, run out the uh, the 3ds uh, <laughs> proof of concept of Halo. You know, like we right. always example. You know, whatever Everybody. it is. <laughs> yeah, As yeah. the publicist was sitting in on the interview, they were just like nine one one nine one one group chat nine one one nine one one. Exactly. Yeah. How long until Harvey Smith is looking for a new job? I don't mean. I don't know Harvey Smith. I'm sure great person, great developer. Man, that just feels like you had one job, and that was to not say that, (laughs) you know? Anyway, uh, it is cool. It is interesting here that the CMA has announced this and also that Travis Tritt is getting the Lifetime Achievement Award, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Travis Tritt. I don't don't know any country Western artists. And 10 years of Call of Duty. So it's, you know, Carrie Underwood, (laughs) cover star of the next Call of Duty. Easy. (laughs) Uh, All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? My story of the week is coming out of GDC. And while I think this Activision Blizzard merger is potential to be huge for the industry, what I think has potential to be even huger -er 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 for the industry is the continuating, continuating, (laughs) continuing dominance of Unreal and Epic Games. So at GDC, as they often do, where we saw the ray tracing demo years ago off of um, the Star Wars helmets and masks and all that stuff. This year at the State of Unreal 2023 presentation, we saw Unreal Engine 5.2. We saw some of those huge additions, including an Electric Dreams was the demo they showed this year, which showed um, foliage-filled forest, also a Rivian truck, because the only place you can get them is digitally, apparently, still. And it was kind of some procedural generated what you can do in Unreal 5.2 to create this dense, awesome-looking jungle, which is jaw-dropping enough, right? Like, that alone could carry presentations. But then they also showed an update on their metahuman capturing uh, facial scan technology for um, uh, using just an iPhone, to scan, to create this face capture, which again, jaw-dropping and done. Then they also pulled back the curtain on the Unreal Editor for Fortnite, which, you know, further community uh, builds around Fortnite, uh, arguably making it closer to a Roblox-style 
uh, thing with even more games existing within Fortnite as the wrapper and kind of any type of game. They showed these bleak worlds. I mean, just the type of stuff that was being shown was incredible, which is, again, enough to bring the house down. Then they also revealed how much they're going to be paying creators, the 40% uh, going to creators in this mode, which is far better than so many of these other types of things pay people. And then also, after acquiring ArtStation and some of this other stuff that Epic has been gobbling up over the years, they introduced Fab, which is their all-in-one kind of marketplace where Unreal always had, or not always, but has now for years had a marketplace of assets and stuff like that where you can go in and get things and modify them, change them if you want, but they're there to be used in your game. And now they're rolling in the Unreal Engine Marketplace, Quixel Bridge, ArtStation Marketplace, and SketchFab all into one thing called Fab, which again, at GDC, just that could be enough to bring the house down. And all of this was crammed into just this year's presentation, which blows my mind and also makes me think Epic is nowhere near done. They have so much more coming, and what's already here is truly game-changing, I think, Jeff. Well, yeah, it's a, not even a pun. It's, it's it is changing games, and and it is uh, it, it really is spectacular. I mean, they were very clear to say over and over in the presentation. Artist first. These these are tools. The procedural stuff. The to empower artists. We want to do. You know, we want things to be handcrafted, and then we have these tools to extend that. But man. I don't know some of this. I I don't know how far away we are from literally any idiot like me just being able to make a video game that looks as good as Uncharted or whatever. You know that it just it's it is unbelievably gorgeous. The tool sets seem to do so much work for you. The this metahuman animation where you literally just stare at your iPhone and you can create a complete photorealistic <laughs> NPC. Uh, they show, you know, the 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 foliage where, you know, the the handmade stuff is like a, a tiny little square. And then there's like kilometers of procedurally generated stuff based on the handmade stuff that is all like adjustable in real time. And you can just shift stuff around and duplicate things. And it all looks incredibly beautiful. It's it's uh, it is. Incredible. It is inspiring and also terrifying to me i i I, i've gotten to the point now and it it happened fast guys it happened fast where the things that used to be purely exciting to me now have a tinge of terror to them (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) I, i know where you're coming from yeah talk to me anthony did you you watch this presentation i'm sure yeah no, yeah, I I mean on the on the one hand, yeah, I think we're dealing with that right now just in the because of the AI space and and that terror, I guess. But uh I I think from a video game perspective it's all, it's pretty exciting. I do think there are some really impressive things that they are at the very least showing that will be possible. Like Christian said how soon they will be possible is is up for debate, but yeah, I'm, I mean, instances where more people are making games and they have an opportunity to add their voice to the world of games and so we don't have so homogenous of a offerings available to us, I think is exciting. And that's really just – I'll focus on that part. I agree. No, that is yeah. – you're not wrong. That is a great point to bring up. 
and that it I, I've been saying for for many many years now that the barrier between you know the, it used to be video games were made by technical people uh, programmers people that you know could crunch numbers and write code and there's nothing wrong with those people those are great people but uh, I've been saying for many years that you know we were getting to this place where the tools were becoming so intuitive and so divorced from coding at per se that more artists or people who didn't have that kind of technical prowess, but had great ideas and, and great creative impulses could create video games. And that gr video games were becoming more uh, artistic because the barrier to make them was getting lower. And yeah. I think that is only going to increase. And I think it is really going to get to the point now where it has, we've already gotten with movies where, you know, yeah, making yeah. a film is, off the shelf, you can make something that looks as good as any, you know, not any, but many Hollywood movies. I think um, it was Francis Ford Coppola in an interview probably five years, 10 years ago now already said, I think it was like an iPhone 4 came out. He said the camera, the processing unit on that camera, not lenses, but you could attach lenses, but the camera on that phone and the editing software in, you know, whatever it is, iMovie or whatever was available on that iPhone 4 or 5, whichever one it was, is better than anything I had to make Apocalypse Now. And not only can a prosumer get that, most people already have it. Right. And I think that's right. where game dev is is going in a lot of ways too. And there's still a Herculean amount of work that is required to make something. Um, my fear of this, like my, I guess my black mirror uh, side of this coin, is I think anytime platforms get so big there's the waiting for the other shoe to drop. And whether that's mm -hmm. in the Fortnite creator mode, where is that Facebook's pivot to video? You know, like Facebook became so big that media, uh, traditional media outlets were relying, it for their, relying on it for their views. And then when they changed that algorithm on, for Facebook side of things, businesses were left scrambling because how do we get audience anymore or whatever that is. And I think at, it, it, right now it seems like Epic, is truly doing so many things right for creators. But at, at some point I'm waiting for the water to get pulled back. And then all of a sudden that tsunami comes crashing down. And maybe that's just me being a cynic, but it just seems like there's yeah. gotta be something coming. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. The consolidation where, where it becomes, you know, there's two engines in the world and every, all video games are made on two engines. That consolidation of power is, is a little scary because like you said, it's a rug pull waiting to happen. Um, you know, also don't get me wrong, audience. I don't mean the accessibility of the tools is problematic. I I think that the scary stuff for me, the, the terror tinge that I was describing before is how much the uh, expertise is becoming irrelevant and, you know, that that it is uh, it putting people out of work. You know, that, that the notion that the the tools will do all the work and then there won't be need for people is, is the scary part. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's the other story in the doc with regards to Ubisoft and the, yeah, um, I mean, we can, we can bring that right up because that, that, yeah, that is one of your fears. And I think that is potentially bringing that to bear is that idea of replacing people with programs that a developer finds cheap because they just buy the program and it does the thing that they think is not as valuable as it might be otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, the story that Anthony's referring to is that Ubisoft this week um, scared a lot of folks, including myself, uh, 
with the announcement of their Ghostwriter AI tool. They call it Ghostwriter, uh, and it uh, exists to help them write video game content, NPC dialogue. Uh, in this in this case, they're using it for barks, which is a a term the industry uses to talk about those things that happen not when you're you know click on a conversation with an NPC necessarily, but more like the things that happen in the world as you're wandering through it, you know, that somebody says, you know, get your, you know, get your swords here or whatever it is. Uh, They call them barks. These things that are just sort of ambient uh, lines from NPCs to make the world feel lived in Uh, this. What uh, Ubisoft is evidently using this ghostwriter AI tool for at the moment. (laughs) And they say, Oh, that's all we're going to use it for. But uh, you know, (laughs) <laughs> how long until <clears throat> all video game writers are just uh chat gpt i don't know um as somebody who you know very much appreciates great writing and uh fancies himself a, a writer uh, uh at times uh this is a, a really scary notion for me and i think it's one that's happened it feels like it, it 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 wasn't happening it wasn't happening and then it just the floodgates burst open on this stuff and uh, in like weeks, we went from not hearing about it to just everybody talking about this, all these tools, you know, it just, it just feels, you know, and a lot of GDC was focused on this, uh, on this notion of these AI tools. And, and again, we've talked about this, uh, Christian, on the, uh, on the Wednesday show on paid DLC, we talked about my sort of uh, reluctance to even call it AI at this point, because it's not really AI, it's, it's more like you know, predictive text on steroids. But um, that seems to be the term that, you know, most describes these, or, you know, most people have, have latched onto. But regardless, it, it is of a piece with this unreal announcement, with all of this procedural stuff, all of this sort of, uh, you know, um, deep learning enhanced uh, tool sets that are just, uh, I think, going to be a sea change in how everything is made, uh, but, you know, most to our interests, how video games are made. Um, so I, I don't know how that's going to change the world. It is clearly going to change the world, and it is changing the world in real time as we're watching it change the world. Uh, and, I, I, you know, there's, a, there's certainly a version where this empowers people, and like Anthony was pointing out, a letting folks that, you know, didn't have the uh, the access to creating their visions uh, be able to do that. And I think that would be a positive, but there's also a world where it really, um, you know, puts a lot of uh, creative people out of business and, and you know, just yeah. makes Why makes is it games. always Ubisoft? Why, why do they not, <laughs> do they have no self-awareness? They're like, hey, NFTs, hey, AI, like, <laughs> look, read the room, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it wasn't them, it'd be somebody, but you're right. It tends to be them. Um, well, I, I I do think it is somebody to quote uh, Fallout Boy. This ain't a scene; it's a goddamn arms race, and that's what <laughs> AI is right now. I don't know if everybody behind it fully understands what they want to do with it yet, but you know, like yeah. the 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 dam has cracked, and yeah. everybody, no one wants to be last to that party, uh, even though we don't understand the intellectual property rights of like the the. U.S. has kind of fired a first shot saying AI-generated art can't be protected, but now also the F- I think it was the FTC released a statement like, we're starting an investigative committee to see how this should be handled, which also means the 
dam has been cracked in the lobbying money if it hadn't already been cracked of like oh this is this is the fight now you know how how do we protect this how do we protect our interests who owns this stuff who makes this stuff to what extent can it be used in a thing and then still protected to what extent do i have a defense if my ai makes ubisoft's game after ubisoft made it you know like yeah and it, it is just an arms race to get out in front of it because so far in my opinion in tech so many of the winners have been the first there you know and, and mm-hmm. to figure it out and to iterate it and there's the apple example that some people will point to like oh well they're never first but they come out best um that's true in some limited devices but in a lot of the things that make their product unique they're first and no one wants to not be google you know like be there ready to pounce when that new thing is taking over the world and don't sit on your laurels the way other search engines were when google showed up and changed the world and it is truly unbelievable to be seeing in real time because i feel like i cannot even get my arms anywhere close to around it. it's like standing next to a redwood tree and just going like yeah there's no way I can see the other side of this. Thing it's a redwood right tree that's a redwood tree that's toppling, uh, and, and <laughs> potential. You're not sure if it's going to topple and cause a domino effect for all the other redwood trees, or uh, if it's just this one redwood tree that's going to topple and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, it it's a wild thing, and you know we, we talked a lot about AI art before, a lot of it on the paid DLC program, but uh, with Lana we talked a lot about AI art, and you know it, at least with AI art there is this notion of maybe embedding you know digital fingerprints and and kind of uh flagging things as created by digital art or uh, by created by ai or um you know there's no way to do that with text there's no way to do that with with writing uh and so n- now that it has arrived on the scene of you know putting writers out of business um it, it's a it's a wild thing and it just seems like as we said, the, the floodgates are completely open and no one knows. You know, I was talking to a friend about this literally today. And, uh, you know, I was saying that like, this is when people were talking about Web3, you know, Web3 and they were, NFTs and all that stuff. They thought like that was the next big thing was NFTs, Web3 ownership. And I feel like, no, 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 no. The This is Web3. Web3 is create anything all the time, anytime you want by just describing it it is it is chat gpt it is ai driven it is deep learning it is all these systems feels like what people thought the ownership thing was going to be and that sort of bottom fell out of that and this is really the gold rush now whereas people thought that was going to be the gold rush but this is the gold rush of how are we going to use it how we how is it going to change the world and there's going to be a before this and after this and the world will be completely different. Maybe, yeah. It it seems inevitable to me, but maybe. You know. I, I I feel like NFTs was how do I make rich people more money, and I feel like AI is going to mess with rich people's money, and that never succeeds. Boy, I I think this will also be how will rich people get more money, and the answer will be not hiring human beings. You, well, yeah, I agree with that part, but I think you're going to run into situations where. Uh, people are going to make deep fake, you know, take Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and make their own Avengers movie. 
you yeah. know, make the movie right. they want to make. And then Disney will go, oh, yeah, this AA thing is terrible. <laughs> you guys need to shut this down immediately. And then it because NFTs, you know, oh, yeah, we'll sell Disney NFTs. Here's an NFT of Robert Downey right. Jr. But right. when you're messing with the ability to make money instead of offering uh, the ability to make money, I think there will be somebody will will be very mad about this. And I think it'll change. But I, I think for a little bit, there will there will be. A lot of examples of man, AI is just going wild and it doesn't really seem like anybody's doing anything. But once it messes with somebody, whether it's Disney or Sony or whoever, you know, they're going to say, hey, hey, guys, you guys at the government need to do something. That's that's an interesting take. I, I, I you know, I like your perspective that it empowers uh, the the everyman, right? It empowers people to to make things that normally wouldn't. I. I, I find that a, a, a an optimistic view. I, I I my worry is that it empowers the the giant corporations to just not pay people, just not pay yeah. human. Like all the things that human beings used to have to do, they don't need human beings for. So there's no vacations and 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 four hundred one ks and there's all these things that they people had to pay for. <laughs> just don't have to do that because they could just ask the AI to do it. Um, but maybe, sure. you know, maybe we're both right. And maybe it'll it'll all be this weird push and pull on, on both ends of that spectrum. I don't know. But anyway, we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about the unreal presentation, which is pretty, pretty gobsmacking, I think. Um, and definitely, you know, to to. Uh, to move back to the the world of of pure video game consumerism or end user perspective i do think it's going to be uh, there's going to be amazing games there's going to be amazing and what they're showing is is truly remarkable and as christian mentioned numerous times i think epic has been incredibly smart each step of the way in how they have uh, proceeded along this line how they've positioned the unreal engine what their features they're adding to it how they recognize that fortnite is this vehicle the popularity of fortnite can be used to to be the trojan horse to bring all kinds of other features uh into the world like you know creating a true metaverse you know having concerts in fortnite having making uh end user content and people selling it in a marketplace like all of that stuff all that ready player one stuff does feel like they figured out hey we have this extraordinarily popular thing and instead of milking it to death we're going to keep expanding it and broadening it and adding new things to it that are different than what it already does well you know, I I think that is such a such a rare thing to happen in any uh, in any uh, consumer product. Uh, if it's something is dominating and is insanely popular, usually uh, corporations like to squeeze everything out of it by just maximizing what it's already good at, rather than taking any risks at all. And I think uh, I guess you could argue whether it's been risky or not. But what you can't argue is that they've really broadened what Fortnite is and represents. And I think that's just more example of it in this presentation. And I think it's their Epic is their rare company 
you know, right place, opportunity, chance, timing, all that stuff, right, coming together of they were a company that made these tools and oftentimes made games to show off these tools. And I think learned quickly on with OG Fortnite being this base defense, you know, wave-based game, and then using their own tools to pivot that to a totally different game and seeing how well that worked and how their engineers and developers were able to work with their own tool set that others were already using and familiar with the the possibilities they had there to open those up to other people and broaden the scope of folks who are going to be working with this and as the, those tools got better and better and quote unquote easier and easier to use opening up those uh you know so-called floodgates to everyone to allow to build in this world they've created it just seems like there are a lot of engines and tools that aren't as friendly to being used on such a wide swath of games that the Unreal Engine is. And it really does feel like right place, right time, right tools to make all of this happen versus some bespoke, very custom-made graphics engine built to make one thing. And now we're going to make Frostbite be a driving game, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's incredible. And it... It's bizarre to me. I, I I will never forget being – I think it was back when I was doing the Totally Rad show. And Dan and Alex and I went to – I think it was – I want to say it was an E3, but it might not have been. It might have been some other event. We went to an, an epic little room where they showed us a cinematic and a little bit of gameplay for this, for this wave shooter. <laughs> that they were going to come out with called Fortnite. It was probably Blazinski because Cliff was out there doing those. He was the one showing it at first. It might have been. I, I don't know. It might have been. But um, I mean, I guess I said I'll never forget, but I'm forgetting a lot of things about it. Anyway, um, I, but I do remember us walking out of that and thinking, man, that, that game didn't look very good. <laughs> that game's, that game's going to tank this wave re- shooter. You know, I remember <laughs> sitting in a Comic-Con panel about it and being like, I don't these are the gears guys what are they doing here making other gears here <laughs> yeah uh, little did we know it was the it was the the seed of of the metaverse right there we were watching take take shape anyway um okay as, as i said this is a jam-packed episode there's so much to talk about um we've already hit on uh you know the future of of creative work in the world you know so yeah, little topics like that. Uh, I would like to have my story of the week be a trio of game announcements. Oh, good old, easy to talk about game announcements. The bread and butter of video game news. Uh, Jeff picks three stories as his one story. Uh, Jeff picks three stories as one story. He tries to find a theme to unite them all. But please all note, Jeff picks three stories. <laughs> it's one. It's one. Um, so three games that uh, got announced, uh, all of them really interesting to me. Uh, the first I'll mention is uh, Lego 2K Drive, which is going to be a new game from Visual Concepts uh, that has been officially revealed. This is a Lego open world racing game, uh, kind of borrowing from Forza Horizon, kind of borrowing for from... Um. Uh. What's that? What's that Ubisoft? Uh, one where you can transform into different vehicles whenever you want. Uh, it used to be called the Crew. And yeah, now the Crew writer has called it the Crow. They just kind of got <laughs> it a little wrong. <laughs> the great barks in that game. Though. Great barks. <laughs> uh. Anyway, so 
Lego, you get to build your car with, they say, over a thousand pieces in the game to build vehicles with, customize your car, uh, drive it around in big city, smash into things, knock Legos uh, here and there. There seems to be some sort of narrative with this big bad bad guy um, coming out May 19th, so a pretty uh, pretty close to its release date announcement, which we always like here on DLC. Uh, sort of a, a stealth drop, uh, so to speak, you know, just about a m- little over a month and a half away. And uh, also the first release in this po- uh, this partnership between 2K and Lego that they're calling, um, oh, I guess they're not calling it, but it's it's they're developing AAA Lego games, um, but they're calling it, you know, 2K Drive. So it's the it's 2K Games and Lego Group. Uh, so there's going to be these, these AAA Lego games, of which this is the first very excited for this as a huge fan of Lego, as a fan of Forza Horizon. I thought this uh, trailer was awesome. Anthony, what'd you think? Yeah, I'm excited. I think, you know, there, uh, I think the three of us, we exist in two different worlds. We, we exist in the pre children world and the post children world. <laughs> yes. of, so, you know, maybe me pre child, I might not have been as excited. But now post child, I'm like, this is awesome. It's, a, you know, it's a Lego game, which is a brand recognition. And then it's a driving game, which I have found are more suited to my son's uh, capabilities as a gamer, at least for right now. It's a little more uh, approachable for him. So I'm super excited for it. I do enjoy all the uh, TT games, Lego games. Obviously, they're not uh, involved at all with this, but. I I do enjoy the Lego games as a whole genre, if you will. So I'm excited to see what a different developer, a developer known for basically making sports games, is going to be able to do with uh, racing and Lego as a kind of unified concept. Yeah. Yeah, Christian, uh, this feels pretty darn fun. The the amount of joy my son already gets out of Mario Kart, I feel like this is going to be a home run. the, The trailer looks so fun. Yeah, the amount of like customization kind of shown and transforming between vehicle types, it kind of like the Nemesis system, which has been copyrighted or patented, protected, however, whatever, whatever. We kept waiting for other games to to you know lift from it. I think the same for me has been true with the Forza Horizon series, where it's and I guess the crew others have tried, but I like seeing other developers take this on and and this developer is certainly one with a great track record of quality games and i think adding lego to the mix of a forza horizon style game makes so much sense in terms of you know whether or not you're unlocking vehicles or parts for vehicles and stuff like that in terms of how you progress this open world um i think it looks it looks very smart in 2k um they usually uh throw their weight behind you know, big properties. So I'll be curious to see um, if that's the case for this game as well. I don't have to wait very long. May 19th, it's coming out on everything. Although uh, interesting that the new gen uh, versions, the PS5 and Xbox series uh, is going to be more expensive than the other ones. So hopefully it'll have some bells and whistles that'll justify that $10 more. Or if it's just, Hey, we can. Um, also, you know, you know, I love me some some smash em ups in in driving games. I love me the burnouts. So it doesn't look like you'll be able to smash some stuff. I'm very excited about just careening into Lego things and watching all the bits pop off. That just seems like a joy I'll enjoy. A joy I'll enjoy. I'm a wordsmith. 
Anyway, uh, second of my three games, uh, Polygon published a a piece uh, interviewing uh, Doug Rosen, the senior vice president for games and emerging media at Paramount Global, saying they're making a new third-person single-player action game of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles feels like multiplayer, you say. Well, yes, except there is a 2020 graphic novel uh, that saw uh, Eastman and Laird uh, reunite, I believe. Uh, uh, and uh, it, it tells the story of the last Ronin. It is called the last Ronin. It tells the story of a single unnamed, or at least mostly unnamed for most of the story, a turtle uh, kicking a lot of uh, patoot. And I guess they're going to make this kind of harsher, more uh, darker uh, Teenage Mutant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story, single-player action game. They're referencing God of War, the recent God of War games, Santa Monica Studios' God of War games, uh, as a touchstone point. Christian, this seems like your jam. You love Turtles. You love God of War. Any reservations about this one? My only reservations are, we'll release the developer at a later date, but we've got a good one, felt we it's like one this feels very far away to me this feels yeah, like i'm excited and now i need to forget about it for a long time yeah. um but i i hope they have a great developer i hope they have a great partner on board because you, part of the announcement kind of read like we're making that game you've all wanted us to make based on that similar to that other game that's one of the best ever made and we're going to do it also yeah it's like oh yeah, yeah. i hope yeah. so <laughs> okay <laughs> sounds yeah, good no that's true uh, you're right. I do think it's far off, but uh, very cool idea. Very cool. I love the idea of uh, a darker turtles game, single player, uh, third person action game is my you know one of my favorite genres. Could be cool. Uh, Anthony, I want to ask you about okay. the third of these games that just got confirmed after a lot of teasing, a lot of rumor, a lot of uh, 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 the office gifts. <laughs> yes counter-strike 2 is real it exists it exists yeah, i mean it's happening it's a thing yeah summer 2023 window uh that's not fall that's that's near summer's near uh it's almost spring uh and uh source engine 2 they're gonna it's gonna be a free upgrade to csgo pretty wild that they would le- release it as a free upgrade it's going to have all of your items from CSGO that will carry over into, C- into Counter-Strike 2. This seems like a, a Titanic release. Yeah, I think I think it'll do a lot of, um, you know, kind of attention within the streaming space for people to get more involved in watching their favorite streamers play it through early access. It's already happening right now. You're seeing your shrouds and your lyrics play it, and you're getting to see what it offers. I think it the changes or the upgrades that they've made look really cool. Uh, the, I think it's volumetric smoke basically where, you know, if you shot a bullet through a point of it, the smoke goes away. So you can sort of see, uh, the smoke deteriorate or it, uh, I think they said it'll fill up a space. So if you, you know, put smoke in, in an area with a taller ceiling, it would actually fill up. I think all that stuff is really cool, but I think for me, the more interesting element is this, 
shows you what competition can do for video games and where Counter-Strike was just chilling and was like, we've got this space, this competitive, this very specific kind of competitive space cornered. And then Valorant came out and they went, oh, hey, 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 we should probably uh, do some things with our game. And so I think that's to me, that's what's more interesting. I feel as though Valorant uh, didn't force Valve's hand, but encourage them to maybe take a look at what they have and and look at maybe updating or upgrading what they have. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's pretty wild that uh, this you know that Counter Strike Go has been a thing for you know actual decades, um, and uh, finally getting an upgrade summer 2023 i'm i'm interested to see if the you know if it's going to be the king if it's going to take that crown back and be the king christian you, you have a prediction as to how counter strike 2 is going to do my only prediction is i think it will go mobile and apparently there's references to it somewhere in the source code that it is mobile um possible as well and i think that if true is a big part of why this is happening is that for better or worse those types of games on mobile, I know Apex Sunset on mobile, but Call of Duty um, and a lot of Riot's um, work in the mobile space as well and, and Diablo and stuff like that. I think that is big. And I think if, if that is true and Valve is getting into that space, that also seems very big. I, I, I told you folks, huge, huge week of news. And we got lots of games to talk about for what we've been playing. So let's get right to it and get to the playlist. We talked about that interview with the developer of Redfall. That is because a lot of pre-release Redfall information has hit. And I'm sitting here virtually with two guys that have played Redfall very, very interested to hear each of you talk about your experience. Anthony, Redfall. I know you were anticipating it. You were very much looking forward to this game. You're a fan of Arcane Studios. Tell me what you think, having had hands-on with Redfall. Yeah, so I want to kind of set the stage here. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Arcane's games. I'm pretty sure... I can't remember if Deathloop, but I know Dishonored made my top five. And... uh Last year, when we when we were talking about Vampire Survivors, I said uh, I love vampire media. So one of my favorite developers working on a vampire game, very very excited. Uh, had the opportunity to uh, drive up from San Diego to L.A. to play it. I actually got a flat tire about an hour and a half uh, from San Diego to L.A. Vampires. and had to like yeah, I had. <laughs> it, nail but (laughs) i had to you know pull over middle of the night i had to do it anyway that's all to say i was so desperate to see this game that i got a different hotel woke up early went to pet boys got new tires and still (laughs) went to my appointment i could have just gone home but i i really really wanted to play this game uh but there are elements that i have questions about um after playing it but the the overwhelming thing for me is that i I think it's a game that I'm really going to enjoy. It has uh, looting and shooting, which I, I'm a big fan. You know, I love me the destinies and uh, the vampire element is really cool. I love Arcane's design, uh, the way that they have kind of crafted the world of Redfall. I love the art 
and I really liked the kind of look of the so they create this open world and the part that uh Christian and I were able to play shows that you you can't escape the island cuz the the ocean or the sea whatever has sort of pulled back and is like lifted up sort of like Moses parting the red sea sort of mm-hmm. um so it's that's just like a really striking image and and a lot of creative things they do with the level or the mission we got to play uh I don't want to really spoil that but it has some story elements that uh feel very arcane. The thing I have the question about, and I wonder if Christian felt the same way that I did is the shooting feels good, but also off. I don't know. Christian, did you feel that way or no? Wait, but before you go to Christian, the the shooting feels off compared to like dishonored. No. Well, dishonored. You don't really spend that much time shooting. It's not as much of a shooter shooter. Yeah. You know, this game, you have a, you have an assault rifle and you have, um, you have to pump bullets into enemies, uh, specifically the vampires. I guess the main thing is the, the pace of the combat after playing games like destiny, where you have a little bit more freedom in your movement it feels weird that this game where you take on one of four playable characters and they have these supernatural abilities, like a guy can summon out a raven out of his arm and it'll mark targets, or a, there's a a girl who can summon like this elevator, this uh, kind of supernatural elevator that will boost you into the air. Just if a vampire is running at you, you don't. There's no dodge, or at least I think there was no dodge. I may may be crazy, but there's just no way to really deal with them except just shoot them and then kind of back up, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think that can kind of, you'll get used to it and maybe you'll just feel like that is the game that they're offering or maybe the combat encounters, but it did sort of seem like that element of combat specifically, just the shooting is off, but the rest of it just going into an area seeing, okay, there's a bunch of vampires. I can, just start shooting and they'll all come at me or I can tackle it. Stealth had that similar arcane element. I do like that. Um, the way you'd handle vampires is you basically shoot them or do whatever to them to damage them. And then they become vulnerable. And then there are certain weapons that have stakes on the end. So you need to run up and actually stake them or uh, set them on fire. Or there's a UV light beam type of gun you have to use traditional vampire finishing uh weapons or um things in order to make sure that they don't regenerate their health if you just shoot them with bullets yeah that i think that's very cool it's very satisfying but yeah it was just that one part but i I don't want to i just wanted to say the whole flat tire thing because i don't want to seem like i wasn't super super excited for this game because i I am very excited for this game and still excited for this game. It was just that one bit mm. that I think I don't, it felt off to me. I don't know if Christian felt the same way, but I, I yeah, I, I think there are so many things that feel still arcane in its DNA, even though it is a game meant to be, be played co-op or not meant to be, but that offers co-op and there, there is loot. I think a lot of people probably will will see the menu screens and see this idea of okay, here's I have a bunch of guns. One, some are blue, some are purple, some are yellow, and shooting enemies and seeing numbers fly off them and go, eh, this is not my type of game. But 
going into the mission that they had available to us. And it kind of, it tells you a little bit more about one of the vampire quote unquote lieutenants in the game. And you get some backstory. Uh, you kind of see some scenes that explain more about what their life was like before this vampire outbreak. That felt very arcane to me, this idea of similar to Dishonored or Death Loop, that there are overarching bad guys or targets that you're supposed to take out and they have fully fleshed out backstories and you're kind of exploring those before you actually eliminate them. Christian, as someone who has never had a vampire sink its sharp teeth into your good years, what did you think of Redfall? So I, I, I wrote about it that, that my as soon as embargo went up, people can read that post at uh, on my blog at christianspicer.com. And I would say to Anthony's point about the shooting, it feels like an arcane game. Deathloop, Dishonored, pick your pick your game. And if for for my money, they've never felt the best as a strict shooter. It's always been fine, if if not better than fine, like good, you know. Uh, but it, it does not feel as good as Destiny or even Halo Infinite and some of the other games that have made their money on the feeling of the shooting. The Arcane Studios games, uh, you always have the powers and a, a skill tree as you kind of progress those powers and customize your character to the playstyle you like, light or dark, or however they, they go about doing it. Um, Prey was perhaps the most shooter focused of them, and, and at least in how I played Prey. Um, and it, it feels, yeah, not it's not the best um, shooting game, in my opinion, playing on a controller in terms of the feel in the hand. But it's the creativity of the levels and the exploration and everything else that the games give you where, you know, I was blown away by Deathloop. I, I absolutely loved Deathloop, and I'm sure I've sung many praises for other arcane games over the years as well. And I think where Redfall is going to live or die really is on the multiplayer and how good it feels to squad up and play with people. So for this hands-on demo, we were not allowed to play multiplayer. Um, for the build we were playing, I think they had some technical problems with it because we were only allowed to play as one character, and that isn't kind of what we were led to believe going into it. Um, and the way these characters work, at least from what we were able to see, it is very much an Overwatch-style powers. You know, like you have two kind of main powers, and then you have a super, and a super recharges uh, slower, and it unlocks this, you know, for the sniper character for Jacob, it's like a, snooper, a super sniper ghost sniper thing where you can target enemies and it kind of goes into bullet timey stuff and you really take them down but each character again from what we saw kind of coming into the game at level nine has its powers kind of set and while the guns any character can use any gun so even though i was playing as jacob who is this sniper style character who has a raven that can mark people as anthony mentioned and then this super sniping i can pick up a grenade launcher pistol shotgun whatever else in the world but my power set is always going to be the same it seemed from this demo and i'm sure there is some progression to it as they get stronger or better this that and the other but that wasn't always the case in a lot of their other games where you could really personalize these characters as you as you play through them even death loop you know depending on the type of of play style you wanted to have how you prioritize that stuff yes the final run required you to do things in a certain order and this that and the other but i felt like there was more creativity to it and so redfall also has a lot of the open world trappings of an open world game and so i didn't even attempt the main mission of going to get the big bad because i i trust that arcane does that stuff and does that stuff well 
I wanted to play the other stuff. I wanted to go clear a vampire nest. I wanted to go clear a safe house. I wanted to find a in-world mid-boss, and I wanted to do all of that stuff. So that's what I spent my time doing. And some of it was awesome. You know, I went into this vampire nest to clear it out, and it teleports you into this this area that's kind of even more twisted than the rest of Redfall is. And there's these, you know, blood sacks that you need to kill before the wave comes to do this, that, and the other to unlock the thing. And it was really cool, like this separated little world that you go into that has this really awesome combat encounter and this setup and the world building and narrative that's happening in this world. It's science-created vampires and stuff like that. Absolutely awesome. And then clearing the safe house felt like clearing a safe house, you know, like opening up my map, pinging a thing, going to Ubisoft.com and uh, hearing some AI generated barks, <laughs> you know, like it just felt very much like a thing I've done a million times before. So I'm very curious how much balance there is between that, I think, exquisite and if not the best up there with the best of the best level design that Arcane has you know, built their reputation on with open world gameplay gamey stuff and i think with multiplayer if like you know the three of us are running this game together a lot of those fears go away because i trust that there will be enough of that really really good stuff and the fun of multiplayer will carry me through any other monotonous open world stuff because multiplayer makes everything better and i think playing these crafted arcane experiences with one character that can go up so there was a a house that i went into where i had to go some other way and fight through some long fight but then when i got in there i could see from outside that an upstairs window was open so if you were able to i don't know use a spiritual uh, uh mystic elevator to bring you up to that level you can go up unlock the door let someone else from inside and the way that your team would experience that combat encounter would be totally different and i find that super super exciting my concerns for Redfall right now, aside from kind of how much open worldy stuff it is, is stuff about um, the there was the frame rate was inconsistent. I know this is early, but I think it's important to talk about now as much as it is ever. The frame rate was inconsistent, and there was a decent amount of pop in um, that hampered the experience in a way that did not feel as smooth as it otherwise could be, and so. I'm curious, you know, if building this big open world game puts any strain on the tool sets they're using to build out that world or not. Um, And then my last other kind of question, kind of concern for it is while I found the main characters to look great and I love the push and pull that Anthony mentioned of like needing to go in and stake the vampires totally changes how you approach um, a combat encounter. It pushes you into the fight much the way Doom 2016 did. Some of the NPCs, just like the general NPCs I encountered, they looked real bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, just bad um, in terms of graphics and kind of art direction and stuff. And again, when everything else about so much of the game is doing so much right, I feel like those other things that would pull me out of it really pulled me out of it. That's fair. Yeah. I, I will say because of my tire incident, I was in, I was supposed to be in, I think the same session as Christian, but I was in the later session and they fixed that issue. So we were able to pick any of the four characters. Oh, that's great. Uh, So yeah, the, the, um, I think what's really interesting about tires was a blessing in disguise. (laughs) Anthony. I mean, it, it was kind of a blessing just because, uh, like you said, you know, they, had some issues and I think they worked some of those out. 
one of the things I will say about the powers, and I don't know if this is going to be true of the final game, or if you know if it's one of those games where you can just get enough skill points that you can just buy everything, but it did seem like specific powers you could go in specific directions. So, like the character that Christian played, Jacob, he has a the ability to turn invisible, and it seemed like you could spec yourself in such a way where you could be invisible and maybe move faster or take out enemies and not lose your invisibility. Or you can use it as a, I'm going to turn invisible and then I'm the sniper character. So I'm going to snipe somebody and that's going to give me a bonus to damage. Uh, Same with the Raven. It seemed like you could use the Raven to mark more targets or maybe use the Raven to actually damage some enemies. So I'm not sure, you know, you might just end up with all the passive parts of this the each ability or you might have to pick and choose what you want but it does seem like there is that potential uh for similar to death loop where you would get the ability and then you would get an augmented version of it and there was maybe three or four of them and you would have to pick which augmented version of the ability you wanted to use and that works here where each ability you can buff it in specific directions of your specific play style. But yeah, I'm just excited I, for I, it to I, come I do out think on it was PS5. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think the vampires will be a main point of discussion as far as yeah. their challenge. Because you shoot them and then they just kind of come at you and you're just you're just pumping bullets in, in them and they either enter that down state or they get to you. And it there aren't really many... Like I said, there isn't it just I, it feels like it needs a dodge to me. It feels like it needs something to move you yourself out of the way quicker. Um, well, I think some of that is, too, is where the encounters take place often, at least in my time with it. It was out in an open world. And I felt when I was yeah. in the vampire nest, it felt less so because I was in a tighter space. So I didn't feel like I needed that. I'm out in the open. Give me a destiny boost. Jump away or something like that. Um I, I love that Arcane is trying something new, and I think there's a lot to like here, but I think because they're trying quite a bit new, um, I don't want to speak for Anthony, but for me, I think there's as many questions raised as there are like high fives given at, during the demo sure. when I was playing. No, I agree. I, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, when I saw Justice or Kill the Justice League and I saw all the loot, you know, everybody's like, oh, here we go again. I'm like, yes, I want to farm. I want to farm the stats. So I'm in a different camp. So when I got to see the loadout and see the different weapons and look at, you know, okay, there's this UV beam and I have another UV beam, but this, you know, UV beam, I I get healed when I get a kill or this UV beam, you know, I get some of my ammo back when I get a kill, whatever it is. Um, you know, that type of min-maxing excites me, but I know for a bunch of other people, they're like, just give me two guns and let me shoot the vampires. Right. Um, so I don't know, you know, how much gating there will be. Uh, I didn't really get an indication of, okay, this area is the level nine area. And if you go over here, you're going to encounter a level 10 enemy or vampire and you just won't be able to do anything. I will say one of the cool things that happens is as you kill special vampires, you fill up this meter. And if you fully fill it up, it summons this really kind of strong vampire called the Rook uh, that just basically runs at you. Uh, and I think that has a uh, adds to that risk reward and I think will make multiplayer uh, a really fun experience with that of 
okay, we killed too many. Here comes the rook. Like, let's get prepared. Use your get your abilities ready. Make sure your ultimates are ready. And okay, we're about to summon him and let's take him out. And he'll probably drop us a bunch of loot. So I think that element was also pretty pretty interesting and exciting as far as the risk and reward of taking out vampires because you could just walk around and you see them they just float uh, and some of them don't even notice you you have to decide okay I'm, I'm about to shoot this vampire and they are then going to attack me so choosing to do that in the in the interest of eventually summoning the rook or choosing to avoid them because you don't want to summon the rook i think has a cool risk reward element as well well we won't have to wait too long for us all to play it and it'll be on game pass so um those of us with uh those subscriptions we get to try it out for themselves i think that's going to be pretty exciting another game that a lot of people have some big questions about you've also gotten to play a little early anthony that is uh, lord Mm -hmm. of the rings Gollum. Yeah, so not as high on this one as I was on Redfall. (laughs) This is not a flat tire uh, level. Yeah, so I got to play it from home, luckily. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was part of uh, Daedalic Entertainment. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I've never said it out loud. Um, They do a... So far now, they've done sort of an annual event called Daedalic, or uh, I, I don't know. They're days. And the showpiece for lick last... data all day long. That's what <laughs> yeah, they want. I, I'm sorry if that's not how it's pronounced. It, I think I said it out loud for the first time and then went, it's like... one of those things where you say it out loud and you're like, is that a word? <laughs> um, but so their showpiece last year was just sort of a hands-off look at Gollum. This time we got to play it three sections. Um, I will say one of the interesting things in the game is that it only happens once, but if it continues through the game, it could actually be really interesting is uh, making decisions as Gollum versus Smeagol. You know, the ideal, the idea of one is evil and one is good. Mm. One is kind of trapped inside the other and deciding, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to either indulge my Gollum side and do this bad thing, or I'm going to, you know, indulge my Smeagol side and be good. Um, I think that could make the game really interesting we only saw one example and it was just kind of what are you going to do with this bug um but it it's kind of it kind of reminds me of the the stealth sections of um the game now uh, plague tale but without any of the opportunities for combat or mixing things up where you're just i'm it's like i'm in a bush okay i want this guy to turn around and now i'm on this bush and now he turns back and then i go to that bush um that you don't really it's not super combat heavy in terms of that you're you're really just mechanically traversing Mm. um Gollum looks a little weird i think people are gonna definitely see you know well, if you haven't seen him already, there's a trailer out. They're going to see him and hear him, and there's going to be a disconnect there because Andy Serkis's performance is just so intrinsically linked to what we know of Gollum. Yeah. Um, visually, it it at times looks really impressive. I think the backdrops have that really cool Tolkien, like these oppressive, just brown, kind of painterly mountains and things like that. Um, that are impressive, but up close, not not as great of detail. Um, yeah, I, I came away having a better understanding of of what you do in the game, but 
what they offered for us to do wasn't super exciting. Uh, Gandalf makes an appearance. So I, I don't know if that was supposed to be like, hey, look, here's Gandalf. But um, it, it didn't really, yeah, it didn't really do much for me overall. It didn't really uh, calm any of the concerns I had about the game. It just manifested as, okay, this is <laughs> this is a real thing. And then eventually they... Um, before the embargo lifted, they said, we're putting out this trailer and we're going to announce a release date. I was like, oh, it, it really is real. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I, I, it didn't, nothing made me a believer in it, unfortunately. Mm. May 25th, it's coming out, though. So uh, it's actually coming out. Um, yes. Also, you have played, uh, well, we'll get to Christian on the, on the next game, but tell me what else is on okay. your playlist. Yeah, so I played a couple different things. Uh, I don't know if we want to do all of them or just kind of uh, pick between the two, but I I played Chia and I played Have a Nice Death. I think Chia is probably the more interesting game just because uh, it's going for something really different. Okay. It's spelled uh, T-C-H-I-A. It, you play as a young girl who's living on kind of an island set of islands uh, called new Caledonia, which is a real place. And it's, it's rooted in uh, it's its own folk tale. So the events of the game are kind of folklorish in that there's this malevolent person who uh, eats little children and Chia, the girl, is sort of up against them, and she has her own magical ability, which is she can um, possess, is what they call it, but basically turn into for a brief time and then uh, potentially uh, shoot herself out of or just manifest back into herself. Inanimate objects and animals, which is a really cool mechanic. And the game is structured a little bit like breath of the wild in that you have this open area with that separated with some water. So she also has a boat. So a little bit of wind waker there. It kind of looks um, like wind waker too, a little bit. Yeah. The art style is very simplistic. It's not, it's not going for uh photorealism or anything like that it has a stylized art um, approach. I, I like so many things that the game does. The The possession mechanic is really, really cool. Uh, you know, you have a lot of open world games where it says, hey, you want to get from this point to this point and you just walk in. You know, the many games don't offer you a car or a horse. But then when you realize, well, uh, there's a bird right there. What if I just turn into that bird and then you turn into that bird and you fly to that point a little faster. I think that mechanic is really cool. Uh, it has some of that uh, messing with the physics or the concepts of the game, similar to what you would do with the um, Sheikah slate stuff from breath of the wild. So you can possess a rock, launch the rock up into the air. And when you do that, she unpossesses it, but then you can repossess it as it's flying and then be just a rock flying in the air. And you can kind of chain that. That's cool. Um, if that makes sense. Um, it's a really cool mechanic. It's uh, the possession is kind of relegated by a meter. So as long as you have energy within this meter, you can stay uh, a bird or a fish or a dolphin or a whatever you can turn into a lantern. 
there's a ton of different things you can turn into. Um, the other really cool thing is the game never overtly tells you where you are on the map. So you you can put a pin and then you have a compass and it'll say, okay, the the pin is this direction, but you don't know where you physically are. But there are lots of open world spots. There's actually signposts as well where you can go up to them and it'll actually say you are here on the map. So I really like that. Um, but I think the the main kind of question or not question, but the main thing that I have with the game is doesn't structure all that stuff together in a way that makes the gameplay super exciting, I guess Mm. it doesn't, um, I don't know. It doesn't use all of these cool concepts that it has to make for a game that uh, is compelling the whole way through, I guess is the best way to say it. The, for me, the possessing possessing the animals and and going through the world is cool but a lot of the time you're just going f- through open world stuff you're grabbing items like uh there's fruit that when you eat it it adds to your stamina and it has that breath of the wild type of stamina meter where you can climb on anything but the meter goes down and as long as you have energy within that meter you can keep climbing right so it's like, well, I'm doing this, but I'm just doing open world stuff. And then when you're doing the main missions, usually it's just you go up to a person. They tell you they need something. You have to traverse however you want to to this next place, get that thing and just bring it back. Um, the combat is minimal. It manifests in this way of there are these uh, bad guys that are made of fabric And the way to defeat them is by setting them on fire. So usually there'll be like a lantern nearby or a fire pit and you turn into maybe a log on fire or you turn into the lantern and launch it at them. But it's not super engaging. It's not super complex. It doesn't evolve beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's I don't know. It's weird because you start to play it and you're like, there's so many things I like about this game. The music in the game, I think, is its, its biggest strength. It also has this really cool mechanic similar to um, Last of Us Part 2 where you can play the guitar or you're playing her ukulele. And so you're moving the directional um, stick in the direction of different notes and the notes are kind of flying in like a rhythm game. Mm. And that's fun and it gets really engaging. But at the same time, the songs are such a like essential part of the storytelling and and the characters are usually singing songs while Chia's playing. And so your focus it'd be like if you're playing Guitar Hero and the lyrics to the song were informing the narrative, but you're too busy, you know, right strumming at the same you, you can't I, read both. It was a big struggle to go, okay, well what are the lyrics saying? I th- I think that you know it's giving me information here and there's character v- development happening, but I'm also, you know, quickly trying to hit all these notes at the same time. Right. Um but I think it's it's got so many elements that are really cool that I think people that maybe just watch a trailer and say, okay, I'm intrigued by this. I think you'll find at least a pretty uh, interesting set of concepts, whether they fully come together is, is up for debate. Well, that's Chia T C H I a 
Christian Spicer, I know you have been playing it alongside Redfall, uh, a game that has become a, a genuine hit, and uh, both you and Anthony have been playing the remake for Resident Evil 4, which um, checks watch, checks notes, has been remade uh, several times now, but this is the, the remake remake, Resident Evil 4. Tell me what you think. Yeah, so we talked about the chainsaw demo last week, two weeks ago, whenever that was, and I talked about how it was, you know, it's it's wet and it's gross, and I didn't know if I could go back to it because for somehow it was grossing me out more so than Dead Space, you know, the remake, the Dead Space remake that came out this year as well. Um, but I knew I had my trip planned, and so I was waiting with bated breath to see what this thing's Steam Deck performance was like, and the RE engine has been great on Steam Deck so far. And let me report, my friends, RE4 Remake on Steam Deck Steam Deck is awesome. No, it's not Ray Trace, Beefy GP. I'm playing it on my Teeny GP um, instead. <laughs> and I used settings I found at Rock, Paper, Shotgun, and I you know copy-pasted those over into uh, my Steam Deck to use for those settings. And I'm averaging probably 40, 40 to 45 frames per second. Um, there's one section, uh, if you're familiar with the game, you'll also know when this section is going to come up. It's the most graphically demanding section of the game that sees it dip a smidge below 30, but otherwise I'm well over 30, sometimes hitting 60, and it's a treat to play on Steam Deck. And I think because some of those things aren't fully ray traced like they would be with my beefy GP, it's less gross. <laughs> um, so it's a little more easy for me to play. It was very odd to be playing it on a plane next to just another adult gentleman who, as he looks over at me, I, it's like there's not a lot of context in RE4 sometimes. Like the people look very humanoid. And I know that this old, this other person, my age, you know, maybe fifty uh, at the oldest, is watching. And maybe they played the game, maybe they like it. But if you don't, you just see me sneaking up behind this woman with a broom, and I stab the crap out of her in her neck. You know, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just playing my games over here. It's like I hope uh, I don't sit next to that guy at the luau. <laughs> yeah, um, but it it is awesome. It's awesome. Some I loved it way back when on on GameCube. You know, it was genre defining and I think um, fundamental in terms of instilling my love for Resident Evil for decades to come after that game came out. And I think the changes they've made to the remake really sharpen the game and make it feel fresh and modern. I think for me, one of those big changes is the ability to change weapons on the fly and not need to not need to go back into your briefcase to change you know from your shotgun to your pistol or whatever it was you can just change while you're fighting which i think makes some of the fights more dynamic because i'm not concerned about the time it will take to go in and then i'm in my inventory and this that and the other you're it's you know real time quote unquote it already was but it, it makes it more real time and shooting locks off things and exploring the space feels more fun and engaging again because i'm not diving into my um weapon management every time i want to change things up and um it, it it is refreshing for me to play again now in 2023 a slower paced third person action game re4 in my opinion is you know a pedal to the metal action game but the way you move through the space is much slower than something like horizon or even you know the more modern tomb raiders or even last of us in terms of that's a slower paced game than uncharted but playing through re4 again with some of the updates that make it feel contemporary 
but slowing it down and I'm not dive rolling everywhere and this, that, and the other is a really rewarding gaming experience. And I don't know if it's my age or if these remakes this year have all been this outstanding, but here we are, you know, almost four months into 2023 and I'd be hard pressed to say that Metroid Prime, Dead Space and Resident Evil 4 are some of the very best games to have come out this year, remake or otherwise. And, and I cannot say if that's just my nostalgia talking and these updates have just been great versions for me to hear uh, Freebird again, you know, but <laughs> playing yeah. them in, in real time in 2023, they're incredible. And Resident Evil 4 is up there again with Capcom on, you know, goat tier status in terms of reimagining, reinventing and smartly updating these classic 10 out of 10 games and somehow making them better and more relevant than they ever were. Anthony, you've also played Resident Evil 4, uh, but if you could pick only one, Resident Evil 4 or Dead Space Remake, which one reigns supreme? Man, um, that's tough. Um, I, I, yeah, I would probably say Resident Evil 4. It was one of the first games that when I played it, it, it clicked video games into like a new stratosphere for me mm-hmm. this the idea of it put the um, fear in stratosphere <laughs> no not not necessarily that, that but just i think up until that point playing games as a kid i didn't understand the art i guess it was just the entertainment and not the art yeah. but then playing resident evil and the cinematic nature and the tension and the there's a early boss fight in the game that even though visually now it looks terrible at the time it was incredible. And now in the remake, it's just as incredible and it's exciting, but at the same time, incredible. It's so incredible. (laughs) But if you've never played, you know, if you've never played it before and now you've played all these other games, you're just like, Oh, that's, that's it. But you, you don't realize at the time that was a big deal. Um, or that was a thing that was, you know, super cinematic and super exciting. So I think, yeah, it's Resident Evil 4 for me. It, it like Dead Space, it has that magic of you're playing it and it's, it's how you remember it playing, but it definitely doesn't play how it played. Yeah. You know, it adds yeah. those smart modern touches. You're like, I remember this. I remember that. That all seems the same. Okay. Is this just the same game? But then you go back and you watch how the other game played and looked and you're like, yeah, of course, this is a, a completely different game. Visually, it's a super impressive. Um, it does run really well for me. I am playing it on a beefy GP um, and it's it's I'm getting in the in the 80s to 120s with ray tracing on 4K. Uh, it depends on the scenario, like Christian said. Um, obviously the um the using of the resident evil engine that they've been using for a while now has gone a long way towards creating this specific style so it's still in that style it's i mean super fun in a lot of ways the the only um the only criticism i think i i would have is that um it has um so just i guess it's the it's the management of the of the case yeah is is the managing of the case i i think it's very resident um, evil though there, you know? the, yeah there's there's just i guess my nitpick i just keep running into as i've been playing it is i have the bolts i shoot the bolt into the bad guy and then i have to have enough space to pick up the bolt 
but the bolt should just go back into the gut, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but outside of that, it's it's a really phenomenal remake. It is it is up there with Dead Space as far as taking visuals that as you remember them, but making them look super modern, adding really creative touches. Um, the I, I, yeah, I, there are new additions as well. There are sub quests within certain areas. You'll find these kind of blue papers. They're not they're nothing super crazy, but the, there are things to do that you didn't get to do. And there are and I, I wouldn't say significant, but there are changes made to the game that are. It's not just a complete copy and paste job. Yeah, it. I think part of that for me is I remember the game being one of the first. Uh, quote unquote hub and spoke style open like what it did in terms of broadening the scope of what a level could be especially for resident evil and i think for a lot of third person linear action games at the time was revolutionary like you can go in and out of buildings you're in this big play area and you can explore it and there's not one central kill area that you're going to go through there's going to be a couple that will develop organically so i might push a ladder down you know just to use the early village as an example but someone else might never go up there um and adding that the resident evil trappings of like if you do go somewhere you might find a weapon earlier than you're otherwise going to get it but getting that doesn't fundamentally change the game because you're going to get it eventually but it still is nice to have this game it brought in some of those level design areas in a way that fundamentally updates the game. And again, I'm like, there's no way they could have done this on GameCube, but yet I feel like I did. And then sure enough, you pull out the footage and you're like, oh no, on GameCube, this was two buildings, <laughs> you yeah. know? But at the time it felt like this vast complex network of, of, of rooms and stuff like that. And now it is um, in the way that it, it, it aims like a competent third person shooter, you yeah, know, right. um, is again, it felt competent at the time, even though it was just a camera shift tank controls, but you had the, the laser sight stopping and shooting and all that stuff. And just the fact that it's just, you pick it up and you play it, I think is a testament to the work they've done in terms of reimagining with this version, not as good as the iPhone four version of resident evil. Sure, of course <laughs> not. Why would it be? Yeah, it, of course it occupies the space in between the so the Resident Evil 2 and the Resident Evil 3 remake kind of show you okay here is the slower paced but with a modern camera not the fixed camera and not not as tanky of controls but it still gives you the ratcheted up att- uh, tension through Mr X and through Nemesis as these kind of looming threats that weren't as uh created in that way in the original games and then you have the modern Resident Evils the first person ones that don't throw as many enemies at you, but it's kind of uh, oppressive in the sense of you're in first person. You can't hide away. You're, you're really up in the action. If you play in VR, you're really in the action. So it, it occupies in, in between there in that it sends a lot more enemies at you right off the bat. One of your first combat sequences is just, oh my gosh, there are just so many enemies. This is unlike any Resident Evil I've played before. But then as you, it, it throws you into the fire so that you can kind of understand as you're going forward what what's at stake and what you're going to be facing and the the controls really help um the modernized controls really help that idea of okay i can there's a guy holding a dynamite he's gonna throw it i'm not gonna try and kill him i'm gonna shoot that dynamite and it's gonna explode in his hands and i think that's super fun and and a really a it occupies that middle space of more action arcadey uh, crazy Resident Evil that you that we've come to sort of expect in the middle of the originals and the first person one. 
Sounds like it's a home run, and and you know we we suspected that uh, it would be. Capcom has been just really doing such a great job with these remakes, and uh, the sales figures seem to support that. Concurrent players on Steam, I mean, it is just crushing right now. So, kudos, Capcom, keep keep them coming. I guess. <laughs> Where's that Dino Crisis remake, guys? Come on, let's do it. Um. I will use my playlist uh, to uh, highlight an indie game. We've been talking about a bunch of AAA stuff. Um, uh, I'll hi- highlight an indie game that ha- really surprised me. Uh, this is a game called Above Snakes, and uh, it is uh, it's made by uh, Square Glade Games. Um, this is a game that's coming out in May twenty fifth, but smartly they released a prologue that you can play. It's a it's a few hours of uh, gives you a taste of the game, gives you a taste of the beginning of the game. Um, I am not one who tends to gravitate toward, um, uh, what, what do they call them? Survive, survival crafting games, you know, uh, uh, games where you start with nothing and you have to smack a tree until you get enough wood to build a, to build a, an ax. Then you got to smack a, uh, smack a stone enough times that you can build a flint, you know, all that kind of thing. I'm not one to tends to enjoy those kinds of games. Those, uh, uh, what's the name of the genre? Survivor games? Survivor? What are they called? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I would say. I would say um, survival. I don't know. I, I I tend to find them tedious, and I tend not to have that desire to create my custom-made empire, uh, you know, from the the smallest of beginnings. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking to spend time just smacking away at bushes until uh, they drop enough twigs for me to build my castle of of dominance you know i, I don't play arc you know i'm not uh, there's a million of them but I, I i tend not to love those games although there are some exceptions that i've enjoyed um but above snakes takes that formula and really brings some innovations that work for me specifically uh, this is a game that's played in isometric perspective, which already I'm I I did games from isometric perspectives t- typically. Uh, it has I, I think a, a kind of a a lovely little art style, a kind of painterly, kind of cartoonish, kind of a mix between those two. And uh, the idea here is you're in this sort of Western inspired world, and uh, some meteors crashed on the wor- on the on the ground, uh, turning some people into some zombies. Um, but uh, that, that threat is kind of looming and and distant as you start the game. But more importantly, you got to start smacking some trees and some rocks in order to start building things. But what, what it does, I think, uh, very smartly and very interestingly is it uses sort of a tile system. So you have these square tiles, these kind of three dimensional square tiles upon which you live and you're building your things and you're smacking your trees and you're harvesting your berries and you're, you know, finding your stuff and you're, you're doing your survival stuff. You're getting your lumber and your rocks and you're, you're crafting your workbench and your workbench gives you recipes and your rest one recipe uh, begats another recipe and you get more and more sophisticated in what you can build. And as you do that, you fill up a little meter on the screen Everything that you do sort of helps fill that meter. You harvest some berries, you, you smack a bush and get plant fibers, you 
uh, smack a, a a beehive and get some beeswax. You, you you cook something over a campfire. Everything you do helps fill that little meter little by little. And when that meter is filled, it unlocks the ability to place another tile in the world. So you are literally building out the area that you can explore and find things. And even more interesting than that is you build a workbench that lets you, you know, build beds and and campfires and buildings and roofs and foundations and walls and all the stuff that you can normally build in these types of games. But you also build a cartography table that lets you research and find new types of tiles, new biomes, new different areas of wilderness to plunk down adjacent to the other tiles that you've already made. So you can find specific, uh, you know, you, you, you do certain things, you unlock a new tile, and then you've got this kind of new kind of tile that you can place down. It has to, uh, you know, it has to connect to certain types of tiles. So there's some rules about that. But little by little, you're making a bigger and bigger world, and you are constructing it. You are putting things next to things and making your world specific to you. And also, there's this running narrative of you figuring out what happened with these meteors and finding people, and you have quests to do certain things. And so sometimes you'll uncover the ability to find a unique tile like a survivor settlement that you've been searching for. And all of a sudden you have enough stuff to be able to place that tile in a place that unlocks new story bits. So for somebody like me that often, you know, finds these types of games um, maybe a, a bit overwhelming or, or just sort of tedious and um, you, you just expansive in ways that I find to be uh, not very engaging it kind of chunks them. It, it compartmentalizes all of the stuff you're doing into these little, these self-contained tiles. They're not self-contained because they connect to the old stuff. So you can go back and forth as you please, but they are compartmentalized in a way of like, oh, this biome has certain things. Uh, you know, I'm adding this new chunk of wilderness to explore, to find new stuff, or I'm adding this chunk of story, or I'm adding this really interesting new biome that I found. And so you're expanding your world, you're building out your world. It's it's very much like got its roots in board game play of like placing tiles in something like Carcassonne or, you know, any any number of tile laying games. Um, I, I really dig it. I really dig it. And of course, you know, you'll you'll have to build weapons and you'll fight these zombie things or you'll hunt for food or you'll and you have all those survivor game trappings that often annoy me, like hunger and need for sleep and exhaustion and you know all those all you know cold and and heat and all that stuff so you have to you know handle all those things but the game is kind of keeping all of that stuff compartmentalized or at least it is in the early game i imagine as it expands and you get more and more ability to do things it will probably hold your hand less and less but it has welcomed me into this world i like the look and feel i like how i can sort of see my surroundings i'm not stuck in a first person perspective where i I don't know what's around me per se. Um, I, I really dig this game. It's called Above Snakes. And you can download the prologue now. The full game comes out May 25th on Steam. It sounds like that prologue is a, is a, a really smart release, especially so in a smart. crowded space yes. to like 
pull people away from the the one they're playing to try this out. I looked at the art style. It looks awesome. Like I really, I don't want to say like cutesy. It's not cutesy, but it's it's bright. And yeah. a lot of times they're not. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, it and it's good. and it's sort of chunky. Like the the tiles themselves are big and thick, and it feels like you're playing on like uh, I don't know, like a like a diorama or a or a a, a, a playset almost. It's it's really got a lot of cool things going for it. Um, I'm I'm excited to see the full release. Uh, again, it's called Above Snakes. All right. I told you this was going to be a jam-packed episode. We still have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Anthony Towermina, it's always awesome when you're here. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for uh, spending your birthday night yeah. talking games with us on DLC. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate you having me as usual. Um, glad to be here any day, even if it's not my birthday. Well, good, because we're going to have to have you back before a year from now. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff that you do on Game Rant and other places. So, yeah, I, I wrote up the Redfall preview. It's on Game Rant if you want to um, read some longer thoughts. I do want to say I came away liking the game. I know that... Uh, I kind of am labeled the negative Nancy in some cases when I'm on, but I, there were a lot of things I liked about it. So you can read uh, all of my thoughts in a more coherent manner than just me sort of rambling and trying to collect them um, on gamerant.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash a N T a O R M I N a Aunt Tormina. Christian Spicer, you're in uh, Maui. So uh, what do you, what do you got going on this week other than, delightful fun in a tropical paradise sunburns yeah (laughs) hopefully no sunburns uh there was a bonus chat that went out to patrons already with uh york tittle and Corey schmitz who also designed this uh logo for this very podcast among consequences and he's just incredible but we talked about uh c smash vrs which a demo is out for now and i will talk about on another episode playing that for psvr2 um, but I had an awesome conversation with them about bringing back this legend of a game, Cosmic Smash, from the Dreamcast and bringing it to PSVR 2. So that went out to patrons early, um, and that will be going out as a bonus episode here on the regular feed coming up soon as well. So getting that ready for folks and, and out is kind of my focus for this week, and then getting into the Aloha vibes, and then hearing all about you and Lana. I, want, I can't wait to hear about her GDC experience and hear more about your vacation on our Wednesday show. Yeah. So I'm just happy to be here, Jeff. I'm happy that you and Lana are back. Thank you, dear audience, patrons, for indulging uh, this last Wednesday's wacky show. And I can't wait to be back with you and Lana and hear about the fun weeks you had. Should be a real fun uh, paid DLC this week, this Wednesday. And again, uh, patreon.com slash DLC pod uh, to get in on the fun of those episodes. Um I can be heard on other podcasts, including the film cast talking about movies and TV shows. Uh, we have concerns talking science and comedy. Well, talking science and trying to be funny. I think it's fun. Uh, you can check those out wherever you get podcasts. Also, uh, the fan controlled show, uh, which is on fan controlled sports and entertainment, wherever you get podcasts or YouTube or Spotify, all those places. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T again, DLC feedback at gmail.com is where you email us here on the show. All right, let's wrap things up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of 
Anthony, do you have something to help people get through their week? I do. Uh, it was my birthday today, and uh, I got a really incredible birthday gift in that my SDSU Aztecs, my alma mater, are making it to the Final Four. So please watch them on April 1st. It's a it's a big deal for a lot of different reasons. It is my alma mater, but also uh, my whole family went there. My mom worked at SESU. My wife currently works at SESU. And before she was in her current position, she was the advisor to the basketball team. So many of the seniors on this team, uh, she helped kind of get their grades in order, help them pick their classes. So this is this is a huge deal for our family. She's watching basically uh, her second children get to experience one of the most amazing things in sports. Wow. Um, so if, if you don't care about sports and you happen to want to root for a team, they're in the final four. They play April 1st. Uh, yeah, it's a very exciting. There were lots of tears on her part. It's amazing. Um, Number nine, but yeah, seed it's coming up. Yeah, oh no, number five seed. Oh, number five seed. Excuse me. They play a, they do play a nine seed. Yes, uh, who is who is only has three losses, so it's a it's a, still a tough game despite it being a nine seed. Um, but it's very exciting. April first, they play. Uh, so yeah, if you if you happen to see it and you happen to see them, you know, playing and you want to root for them, uh, we'd appreciate. it. Wonderful. Well, uh, good luck on that. That's pretty amazing. It's been a been a wild wild tournament. That's for sure. Um, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? John Wick 4, which I think box office numbers mean I don't need to tell you about. But this is a movie that is so packed full of incredible set pieces that if you put one of them in any other, you know, 100-minute movie or whatever, right, it would be talked about as one of the greatest action movies of all time. And John Wick 4 was like, yeah, let's do another one. Uh, that was fun. How about one more? And what Keanu and the cast does in that movie, oftentimes themselves, and the incredible stunt actors and performers that they they bring to that franchise. It's phenomenal. I will say it is the best uh, John Wick movie for me after one. The, it gets a little heavy because of its premise. Gets starts getting ridiculous after the first one. But that aside, pure spectacle. Holy crap, my friends. John Wick 4 delivers... Um, 110 percent, 110 percent of the time. Agreed. Uh, I I can't wait to talk about it on uh, on the, the film cast more. But man, it it knocked my socks off. It is so so wild, just unrelenting badassery. <laughs> it's just so great. Um, my parting gift, I, as I said, we went to uh, Disneyland uh, last week, uh, and part of that was seeing um, my my in laws, and they gave my son. A gift. I'd never seen this thing, but I immediately became completely enamored with it. It's a toy. You can find it on Amazon right now for like 15 bucks. It's called Flip Slide. Flip Slide. This is a, it's sort of like what if Simon and a Rubik's Cube had a baby? Uh, it would be Flip Slide. Uh, have you either of you heard of this thing? No, I but I'm, not, Google, no. I'm typing it as I... Okay, I'm going to try to describe it for audio listeners. I and got Crocs, so... <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to kind of describe, but it, basically it's uh, cubes stuck together. So think of four cubes in a square, and each of them can light up a different color. Then those four cubes that are in a perfect square have two cubes stuck to the side twice. So there's two more cubes that are stuck to the side of these four cubes. 
those two, those pair of two cubes can slide along the edge of the four center cubes. Any side, they can slide any to any side, all the way around it, circum, circumnavigate the four cubes. They are the 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 two pairs of cubes on either side are the colors uh, red, yellow, green, and blue. But one side is a, a pair of colors, and then the other side of those cubes is a different pair of colors. The center four cubes light up in patterns of those colors, and the game is sliding the edge cubes or and or flipping them 180 degrees around to line up the colors correctly with the colors the four cubes are illuminating. And you're being timed. So it's like it's like Simon in that you're trying to match the pattern correctly, but it's like a Rubik's Cube in that you're twisting and flipping and sliding things to make it happen. It's so much fun. It's so clever. It breaks your brain when you start it. You're like, I can't, how do I make this happen? But then as you play it more, you start to grok it and it starts to work and you're sliding around. I was getting quicker and quicker with it. It's cool for 15 bucks. Got to say, it's a pretty cool little toy that I enjoyed playing. It's a little, my, my little handheld gaming machine that I was playing on the, on the trip. Um, you know, pretty, pretty fun. It's called Flip slide if you're into fun you know rubik's cubey simony kind of games like that i think you'll dig it and i i've never heard of it before this all right we got a listener suggested parting gift this was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com comes from albert albert says uh my name is albert from texas i just had a recommendation to perhaps get some people through their week I was reminded of an amazing band and their one amazing album that I listened to for weeks straight and still come back to from time to time when Jeff mentioned on last week's show that he started the Malazan Book of the Fallen series by Steven Erickson. And then he says, good luck, LOL. Thank you. Uh, the band's name is Caladan Brood, which is a character from the game, uh, from the books. Uh, and the album is Echoes of Battle. The genre is epic slash atmospheric black metal. So it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I implore that you give it a chance because the music is truly beautiful to listen to. It gives feelings of grand, epic battles, tragedy, heroism, and hope. My friend and I would talk for hours on end about the subtlest details of the music. Sadly, he passed away a year and a half ago, so it brings me some sadness when I go back to the album. All this to say that it's an amazing piece of art and would accompany the reading of the books quite well. Happy reading and hope you have a great rest of the year. Thank you, Albert from Texas. Yes, that does uh, make me want to reiterate that Lana Bashinsky and I are starting the DLC book club very soon. She's getting back from GDC. I'm getting back from my vacation, but we're starting the DLC book club reading the Malazan Book of the Fallen. Uh, by Steven Erickson. And I'll talk more about that uh, very soon. But uh, thank you for that parting gift. Uh, amazing. Caladan Brood with their album Echoes of Battle. Very sad to hear about your friend, but it's wonderful to have that memory. Uh, if you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again. 
to Anthony Taormina and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those awesome bumpers. Our theme song was created by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. have to thank our patrons, most of all, for making this show possible. Without you, we would not be here. Thank you for supporting the show at DLC, excuse me, at... uh, at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Top tier patrons, our hype train patrons, get their names read out at the end of each episode, which I'm going to do right now. Yeah, that's right. It's time to thank our hype train patrons. I'm talking patrons like... Wayne T. Robinson, Tyler Buckwild Brode, Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez, Kevin Ede, Stephen T. Seifert, Joda Frank, Scott Lambert, Brian Jordan, Hyperboy 66, David Epp, the amazing John Sisko. Comedian Aaron Trahan. Sure you can. Curtis from Louisville. Matt Valdez. Andy Joyce. Michael S. Relentless Rex. Kyle Starr. Anthony Goulas. Dan Flanagan. Riley Knox. Rob Rickman. Sasan. Adam Denby, Hank Patton, Cheesy Bob, Scooby Diesel, Matt Bradley, Jeff Luxack, Jonathan Talbert, Victor Valenzuela, Will with one L Harris, Chris Zacharias, Mitchell Ness, Jonathan Putney, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Scott Hughes, Jenny, Stu Goss, Kevin Brazel, Zachary White, Yick, Soren Silk, Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlapfer, Mike Lombardo, Michael Buck, Jackson, Michael Stadler, Nick Strauss-Klein, Peter Olberg, Josh Peak, Christian Bravery, Octavian Ratsiu, Taylor Wigert, Jason Novak, Ben, Nate, Travis, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast. Thanks to all of our hype train patrons. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.